everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, and I'm here with Terry Fakes, and we're going to switch the rolls around today. I love doing this podcast partly because I get to ask you so many questions and our guests. And, um, you know, I think there's something really fun about getting to just open a conversation and see where it goes and get to ask you about things that you think. But I'm going to let you ask the questions for this episode today. Quote a hero of mine, ah, how the turntable has turned. (laughs) Yes. And so I'll be asking you a few questions today. You know, let me cue this up by saying this. I I think in our busy world, we have a lot of people out there. Some are in ministry, some are in business, others are running a family. There is no role in our world, 21st century America, that isn't complicated. Mm-hmm. There is no role that doesn't have an issue with busyness. And consequently, it's been an enduring topic of discussion about productivity in mm-hmm. all its many forms. How to be productive, how to use your time, you know, whether it's time management or minimalism or essentialism or all the different ideas on how you can get all the stuff done that you need to get done and how you can improve the quality of your life. So this idea of productivity is what I want to dive into a little bit and just share, not theoreticals, but practicals. So Cole, uh, most of our listeners may know this, but basically you just finished a PhD dissertation, which is an unbelievable task in the sense of it being an academic dissertation and unbelievable amount of reading and uh, research, etc. You just finished that and are waiting to make some edits, I presume. You're a senior pastor at a church and everything that comes with that, the preaching, the pastoring. You're the president of So We Speak. You write, you do podcasts, you impact the world. And since you're a new husband, I assume you occasionally help out at home around the house. If not, we need to talk. Yeah, definitely. So, however, a lot of people have said to me, and I've said to you, I think probably, just realize when they realize what you do, that you are one of the most productive people, meaning you turn out a, a lot of really quality work in your world. And I think that too. And what's really amazing is I knew you when you were little. And I have to say, I'm shocked yeah. at, at what you can do. I, yeah. I did not see this coming, Cole. You're not the only person. <laughs> But so I just thought we would dive in a little bit and talk to you about productivity issues in your life with your different roles. And I thought I'd ask you questions in a couple of categories. That sounds great. I mean, I I wanted to put the kibosh on this episode from the get go (laughs) when you mentioned this category. But but here's what I do think. I love to to investigate and see what people do and how they do it, because to me, it, it, there there is a whole kind of busyness industrial complex that yes. has a whole industry and things with it, and and I think my passion for productivity comes a lot from the one-on-one discipleship that I've done over the years, both people discipling me and me discipling other people. If God puts something on your heart to do, mm-hmm. then you need to figure out how to do it. Right. I think that. There's a lot of ways to approach productivity. There's a lot of ways to approach, um, you know, vision casting and all of that. But I think this really comes down to all productivity for Christians should be a matter of stewardship. And so this to me is less, let me share all my great life hacks with you. Because a lot of people would look at my life and say, he's not that productive or he's not, you know, done this or that. But 
what, what I am passionate about is saying, here's how I'm trying to steward what God has laid on my heart to do. And I hope that in some way this might be helpful to other people who are thinking, well, I have something on my heart that, I, that God wants me to do. And so I'm going to use this tactic over here. And, you know, my life is certainly a collage of other people's productivity tactics exactly. and things. So I hope this is helpful. If not, just skip to the next podcast on your feed. Well, I think it will be for this reason. This is more than life hacks and time management hacks. Sure. Uh, although some techniques can be useful, but the more important thing is the why behind it and the what are you really about. So I would like to investigate two different areas. The first is what I call level one, which is how do you manage your time and how do you manage your tasks? Mm -hmm. Meaning how do you manage your time and the stuff you need to get done? Then I want to go to level two, which I think is a better place to live. And that is how do you manage your attention? Mm-hmm. and your focus. So yeah. let me start though with the, the basics, which I think everyone has to have some level of basics is what are the, what's your basic system for manage your time and your to-dos? Do you have a calendar? Do you have a, a system? Do you prioritize? Tell us a little bit about how you on a day-to-day basis manage your time and your activities. Well, the, the first thing is I'm glad you broke this up this way because I think those are really helpful categories for what everyone is trying to do with their time, whether you're working in a certain industry or not. And a lot of this depends on your job, the nature of your job. Right. And we'll get to this in the second section because I think what is demanded of you in terms of attention and distraction, right? really, that's kind of the make or break for how you're going to use your time. And a lot of that has to depend with what kind of vocation you're in. And they can all be great and they can all be God-honoring. It's just that's going to make a big difference. And so... In some ways, I'm still figuring out in the new role of pastoring. And, and you know, when I was at Crossings and when I was at Redeemer and when I was at Eagle Heights, when you're on a church staff versus when you're the senior pastor, your time is really different. And in a lot of bigger churches like Crossings, there's, you know, 20 or 30 people who are acting as, a, as the senior spiritual leader of their area, also working on a team with other people, right. also reporting to yes. other people. Um, whereas, you know, I'm... I'm primarily reporting to our elders from a human standpoint, but I'm reporting directly to what I think God is calling us to do in our church and then serving our people. And so one of the things that I think about, you know, time management and task management is pastors especially should, should figure out a way to be unbusy in the right kind of way. So if you read Eugene Peterson's books, this, this made a big impression on me. He said, you know, if you walked into a doctor's office and there's nobody in the waiting room and you're just kind of sitting there and you see an open door and you look in the, and the doctor has just got his feet kicked up on the table uh-huh. and he's reading a book, you would think, I'm never coming back here again. Right. This, is, this cannot be a good doctor. He doesn't have patients coming in. He's reading something. You know, this cannot be a very good doctor. Uh, but I think the point that he makes though is that person might be the best doctor you could ever go to because they're not mechanically moving through, um, all of their appointments. Now they could be a very terrible doctor, but I think when it, when it applies to ministry, one of the things about ministry is you actually have to have some unbusy time Mm -hmm. in order to do two things, to respond to the needs of your people. So there's nothing worse than a pastor where somebody says, I need you, something has happened, or something comes up, somebody needs to meet with you, and you can't book them in until three months from now. Talk to my assistant, I can't talk to you until, you know, August. That's not a good place to be in. 
But if you just go about your day and you just basically react to things that are coming, you won't have time for anybody because pastoral work is so busy. You will fill up your calendar from now until 2024 if you want to, uh, and you won't have any time for that. And the second thing is you won't have any time to actually be filled. This is the thing I think is the most countercultural about pastoral work is they're actually, and Jared Wilson wrote a, a, a provocatively titled article for the church a couple of months ago about this. Your pastor is paid to look out the window. That's what he titled the mm-hmm. article. So I said that's a, that's a little provocative, but the point he was making is you would not want to go to a church where your pastor stood up on Sunday and said, I am so busy, I didn't even have time to pray or read my Bible this week, but here goes the sermon. You right. would not want that. You actually have to schedule time to pray and then do it. You right. can't just schedule time to pray and then hang out. But schedule time to pray, to study the Bible that's not sermon prep in your own time, in addition to your quiet time, just to be able to meet the needs of the people that you're serving. Even people that aren't pastors, I mean, this is an old idea. Stephen Covey, decades ago, his seventh rule was sharpen the saw. Mm -hmm. So, but let me ask you this to connect with our listeners a little bit. You actually have a foot in two worlds, just like the rest of us. Yours happens to be pastoring, which is very relational. Uh, They have tasks around it too. But you also have a weekly speak to put out every Monday. You have articles to write. You have deadlines. So you have some work that's like family commitments and family work in, say, my life. And you also have commitments like at work, I have to have this report done. Right. How do you... That's that's why I approach it this way is to say I think everybody has something that's that's like that. Something that you need to keep unbusy in your calendar. And I, I don't care if that is... You are working in the medical profession, and you you need time for certain things to keep up with, to train, to do whatever. I, I don't know or want to presume to know what everybody's career looks like. But to me, that's the first thing you have to set in your schedule are those times. That things like sermon prep, things like pastoral care, things like the meetings that you've got to go to, things like prayer and study time in the Word for your own filling— you got to put those first because everything else, all the busyness, all the tasks, all that, they have got to get done. But they're in the you know the, the classic matrix of productivity. Those are the urgent and semi-important. Right. Whereas I always want to put the important but not urgent in the calendar to make right. sure that those happen because that's where you can do really well for three or four months and completely crash and burn after three or four years is if you never do anything that is important but not urgent. So let's get to the urgent and semi-important task things. I'm a big fan of just grouping all those things together. So I think there's time in my day every day for things that are little and seem kind of trivial but are urgent. So I usually don't put email in this category because I think email is pretty, pretty urgent and pretty important most of the time, but keeping up the website for the church. We're building an app right now. That is not something that I just wake up really wanting to do every day, but I want to connect well with our people. And so I've got to go in and do all of that kind of stuff. Anything around the building, anything that has to do with um, logistics, planning events, you know, all of that stuff you can usually put into an hour. I, I, I typically do it either before lunch or after lunch or at the end of the day. And you can put those things in an hour time blocked off to just go down your list 
And I get great satisfaction out of crossing things off of lists. I just love to do that. I'm a list person. I love to get to do that. Sometimes I'll do stuff on a little index card. Sometimes I'll put it on a note on my phone. Anything that you can actually see it get crossed off the list, I love to do that. I love to just bunch those things together and cross off 20 of those, you know, all at the same time. So there's a balance of that. That is really energizing for some people and it's really draining for some people. And you have to know your schedule your time of day that you're the most productive, what what gives you kind of a launch and what closes you down for the day and where to put that. But no job in the history of the world, or if there is one, I'd love to know about it, can avoid doing that multiple times every day. It's right. like you are just knocking stuff off the list. And it goes to a bigger purpose, but in the moment, it's just the satisfaction of getting it done. Yeah, in the productivity literature, I think the word you'll hear for what you just described is batching. Mm-hmm. And that is putting things, uh, routine things or administrative things together. And I'll give you an example from uh, your mom and my life, Laura and I, when we were both working. And I'll bet you a lot of people are doing this today. And I, I think it's an illustration of what you said. One of us would pick up the kids after work. The other one would take that hour after work and would have that list of errands to be run. Mm -hmm. And that was their hour after work. And then neither of us, from the time we got home with the kids, had dinner, they went to bed, that was set aside as not urgent, but very important time. And then if we had to work, we'd work after the kids went to bed. And I think that's what you're saying, is schedule your really important stuff first. We will not work during dinner and after dinner until the kids go to bed and then batch your administrative things mm-hmm. together and just get them done in one hour right? as opposed to breaking them up throughout the day. Right. And, and again, it's different for everybody, but for me that works great to just put them all in one deal. And some of that is I don't have to be immediately responsive to everything. There are certain people working certain jobs. You have to be immediately responsive to some right. kind of alert, some kind of message, some kind of email that's a very rare thing for me. So I can put all those things into one and just blow through all of that mm-hmm. together. You know, one of the things I've, I've really been thinking a lot about lately is there's a book by Harold Sinkbile called Care of Souls. It came mm-hmm. out about a year and a half ago. And he, he, he was a uh, Lutheran pastor, minister for over 50 years. And he's written a couple of great books now. But in the Care of Souls, he talks about pastoring is a what he calls a habitus, which is... It's not necessarily just a set of skills. I think a lot of jobs are this way. It's not just the skills that you you know get hired for, let's say. It's an inward orientation towards your job that makes you good at your job. So for a pastor, the habitus is being a servant. He calls it being an errand boy for Christ. It's mm. the attitude that says, I will do whatever it takes to meet the needs of Christ's people, because you're an under-shepherd. I will do whatever it takes to meet the needs of Christ's people, whether that is responding to something, talking to someone, preparing a sermon, mopping the church, you know, doing whatever. Right. I, I approach this in such a way with such a demeanor that it's not my skills that's going to get me through. It is my commitments, my habits, my orientation to the job that's going to get it done. And that, that's been a big deal for me. The other thing to get into the real nuts and bolts here. So I love, you know, Google Calendar and all of that and all of that stuff is great. Uh, I am I am a note card person. 
So mm-hmm. actually, where we're sitting right now, I've really cleaned up my act. There's not Indeed. any sitting around here. But what I'll do pretty much all day, every day, is I will operate off of these little cards, which I'm That's holding a three up. three by you five cannot, card. You cannot see it uh, on the podcast. But um, I will operate off of these. And what I do is I'm trying to squeeze the most productivity out of the day. And one of the ways to do that is to let your mind... Um, dictate what you're doing even when your schedule has you doing something else. So I think when it comes to writing and creating, and I think this is true with sermon prep, this is true with giving speeches, this is true with uh, writing articles, Making a present- writing a presentation I mean, or a thinking about how to solve a problem. Yeah. You're, I don't think I would necessarily call it subconscious, but you're not so conscious mind is one of your greatest allies. So for example, you and I both know this, this is pretty nerdy, but when you're, when we, uh, both have math degrees and when you're, when you're doing something like trying to solve a problem, yes. sometimes the best thing you can do is work on the problem until you are just in a cul-de-sac. You just cannot figure it out and then just go do something completely different and let your brain just chew on it. And you'd be amazed. You'd be playing pickup basketball and you'll figure out how to solve that problem. Right. Or, you know, you'll be chatting with somebody and then all of a sudden at lunch, you out of nowhere figure out how to solve that problem. I think a lot of things in life are that way. Mm-hmm. So for me, the big things are I I come up with some of the best ideas for articles, for podcasts, the weekly speak, whatever I'm doing that's creative or that's writing or some kind of output Usually when I'm not writing. Now, you can go into one of two ditches on this. There are people that think there is no such thing as inspiration of any kind. So everything is just processed. If you just sit in the chair long enough and type long enough, that is all there is. There's no genius. There's no inspiration. There's no muse. There's nothing like that. Then you have people that actually never write anything because they are looking for the very perfect moment of inspiration where they are feeling exactly right, flooding with ideas. And it really is a balance between those two because in order to, in order to be productive, in order to have high output, you have to do the legwork, the framework, the grit work to get yourself in a place where you have the component parts. So I'll put this in something like sermon prep. You cannot write a sermon the way that Charles Spurgeon wrote sermons, which is after company left on Saturday night, he would sit in his chair and pray and think about what he wanted to preach about and then preach a sermon. He, did, he just had an anointing that's different than most people's. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you need to do is you need to select your text or your topic or whatever you're going to do. Do the textual work, the prayer work, then get into the commentaries. Do, you know, however you, and right. we could talk about this forever, but you need to basically have an outline and some research and then let it sit for a little bit. Get that done by like Wednesday. And then Thursday and Friday, you'll be amazed at the stuff that comes to your mind because you know where the holes are. Or you have the component pieces in there and you're trying to figure out how to explain something. Or a great illustration or a quote from somebody else comes to mind. Or your experience leads you to something. In your quiet time, you read a passage, you thought, I never thought about the connection between this and that. So it's almost like you have to have the material ready on the one hand. You have to do the legwork on the front end. But then you want to be able to capture whatever your genius is that you bring to this project. And that's Mm -hmm. why I write on these cards all the time or on my phone. 
a lot of the articles that I write for So We Speak start because I have an idea that I've written down somewhere and then I'll be sitting at a stoplight or something and it'll, bam, I know exactly what I want to say or I'll have a great idea and I'll just write it down. Like I probably have 30 or 40 articles on Google Keep on my phone. Uh, this is just a little note-taking deal that are not done, but they have some legwork done. And every now and then I'll think about it and I'll have a great idea. I'll combine it and it'll turn into a column or something mm-hmm. like that. Or sorry, like I said, sermons work that way. Anyway, this is all part of the discipline of setting yourself up to use your best ideas. Mm-hmm. So have you done the work on the front end? That's the first part. Second, do you have a way to capture the ideas when they come? Mm-hmm. So like I said, I keep these cards around uh, or put them on my phone or whatever. Um, you know, so I would say like the weekly speak, for example, is written in bulk on Sunday night and Monday morning. But I would say almost half of it is written in three minute chunks throughout the preceding week. Right. See an article, get a quote, watch, you know, the news or something, type down four or five sentences on something that you want to say later. And then, so if you've done the legwork, if you've collected your best ideas, then you have to do the hard work of actually deploying them. So once you've got it all collected, are you ready to do something with it or not? And I think this is really true with writing. You know, everybody's best advice on writing is just write. Yes. You know, and there's all kinds of attempts to escape the fact that the only way to be a good writer is to do a lot of writing. And I really want to be a good writer, and I'm not a great writer just by nature, but I'm practicing and I'm trying hard, and Mm -hmm. I know that that means actually doing a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. But I will say the best advice that I've come across is from Stephen Fry, who I love. I think Stephen Fry is just a brilliant person. If you've read my latest Best Books of May, I gave a little synopsis on Stephen Fry, but you know, one of the things that he says about writing is writing is sculpting, not painting. Most mm. people think writing is like painting, where you start with a blank canvas and then you paint everything. You know, and I'm not a painter, so I don't know right. exactly how this works, but you're not going from nothing to something. That's not how writing is usually done. Good writing, in my opinion, is like sculpting, where you start with this giant piece of marble. And then you carve it down to what it needs to be. And so to be a good writer, what you have to do is you have to produce the marble. That's that's what that legwork is. Just type a bunch of stuff out. And a bunch of ideas, a bunch of research, a bunch of quotes, whatever it is that you're doing or producing. And preaching is this way to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Get it all out there. Get a chunk of marble. Then do the hard work of cutting the marble down to something really beautiful. That is the key, I think, to good writing, to good production, is you're, you're always going to produce, you know, three times more than what is actually good. Right. Or, you know, 50% more than you need or something like that. Right. And I, I think that's probably the problem with a lot of my sermons or a lot of most people's sermons, as, as I've observed, is should have had one more round of sanding, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. So it's, it's a matter of cutting things down as opposed to just producing something. Right. So, you know, to put this back in the whole process that we're talking about here, if you have the raw materials of doing the legwork, if you have a way to capture your best ideas, and then you set aside time to really chisel things down and sand and and deploy them, that's the path to creation. That's how you... And there's a lot of other things, too, that I'd love to talk about that I think are kind of beyond this, but maybe we'll do an episode on this. I think the biggest thing about 
creation of any kind, writing, preaching, speaking, projects, presentations probably, Mm -hmm. is overcoming your own personal fear of what creating something says about you. Right. Right, which I, 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 we can get into later. But I, I think that's the big... And I have, I have several thoughts on how I've tried to go about doing that because I think that's the hardest thing about doing any of this is not the physical and logistical ways of arranging your time to get it done. It's the fact that you could get it done, but you're afraid to get it done. Right. And therefore, you don't. And exactly. So we can talk about that in another episode. But this kind of leads me to the next point that I... That, that you brought up that I want to talk about, which is deep work. So you and I both have read this book. I like listening to Cal Newport's podcast on deep work. And uh, I think he doesn't exactly come out and say this, but I, I, I think this is the essence of what he's getting at. The question is not how will you be productive? The question is how will you keep from being distracted? Yes. Because there are so many distractions in our world today that keep us from doing things. He's not managing time or tasks as much as he's managing attention. This is a right. different kind of productivity talk. So kind of describe roughly that. He's trying to manage distractions so that you can work, and your brain wants to be distracted. Yes. And then how? Then personalize it. How do you, Cole, implement it? Because you probably don't do exactly what Cal Newport recommends. Yes, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Newport. I'm also a big fan of what Douglas Wilson calls productivity. Yes. And so these two, I think, work together, basically. So productivity is basically finding all the little unused nooks and crannies and making them matter, making them important for your time. Which is, productivity is also a book, by the right. way. Right. It, it, it's a very short book, it's very a great interesting book. book. But it's, a, it's, it's how, to get, how to get things out of your 10-minute chunks, which I want to become better at. Mm-hmm. But... Newport is actually the complete opposite. So deep work is based on the assumption that you only have a set reservoir of attention every day. It resets at night if you get a good night's sleep. (laughs) But this is something that we have to learn about ourselves. This is actually true beyond attention and productivity. This is really true in sanctification. So, for example, you only have a certain amount of willpower every day. And that is depleted by things that you do, decisions that you make, stressful encounters that you have, the way you eat, the way you exercise, all of this stuff, you can either increase or decrease or you know nullify your willpower. And one of the best things we can do for ourselves is figure out how we work when it comes to our willpower and to our attention. So I just happen to know about myself that my attention is strongest in the mornings, mm-hmm. far and away. And the worst time for me is not actually in the evenings. It's like the early afternoon. And I used to think this was because of lunch. I used to think lunch is really just a killer for attention. But, and, I, and somebody probably knows more about this than I do. But I just know in my own life, what I need to do is I need to do my hardest, most difficult, most thought-involved work first thing in the morning. Not, mm-hmm. not very first thing. I wake right. up, Laura and I read our Bibles together, we pray. And then after that, it's like prime time from you know 6.30 or 7 o'clock until 10.30. That is the best time I'm going to get. And what Cal Newport says is you, so his premise is, is a little bit more narrow than this because he's basically saying in deep work, there are things that we do that we can only do 
in big, undistracted chunks Sustained of time. concentration. Right. So he, do, he applies this to computer programming. Uh, but I think this is true with a lot of different things. Anything that requires high skill, the ability to learn something and implement it at a high level, um, requires sustained concentration. And so what you do is you need to set some time blocks where you're not going to be distracted. So that means you've Don't got look to at your phone. put your phone somewhere else. You cannot mm-hmm. just say, I'm just going to set it over here and not look at it. That is, that is, Apple has ensured that that is impossible. <laughs> they, have, they have made our phones and they have made us in such a way that we are hopeless addicts when it comes to alerts and notifications. So what I usually do, and this is not every day, but what I usually do when I do this kind of deep work is... I will put the phone on airplane mode and I will put it in a different room. I'll put it somewhere else. And then I will set an alarm on some device, Alexa or mm-hmm. Google Home or something like that. Um, and I will basically say, you know, if, if now is three o'clock in the afternoon, let's say, this would not be a great time for me to be doing deep work, but <laughs> I, would, uh, I, I would say, I want you to, you know, set an alarm for 4.30 p.m. today. So you have an hour and a half. And I think that's about the minimum amount of time. And sometimes you have to work up to this. And some mm-hmm. people don't have this amount of time. You can, right. Maybe you can only do 45 minutes. That's totally fine. Just block off a meeting slot for mm-hmm. yourself right. to do whatever this task is. But I'll usually do them in about an hour and a half. And it is funny because it takes you 15 or 20 minutes to really get into it. Right. You know, and this is not every task. These are the ones that require high concentration. So you don't do deep work for email. Like you're studying. Or studying, you're trying to compose reading, a report. Or you're... Yes. Programming, you know, any things you're doing. Thought work. um, And you'll be amazed. You actually don't just get the sum of whatever the uninterrupted time is. You get this increased percentage because you build this kind of focus momentum, this attention momentum. It is amazing and refreshing. And I think a lot of people would be surprised how much you can do, how hard you can concentrate on something, um, and how productive you can be if you snap out of the constant distraction that we live in. You know, so we, we are distracted a million times a day, all day. We never get very far down into a kind of deep working. And it is incredible how much you can do if you will allow yourself to have that kind of space. Is that kind of called getting into the zone? People call it flow. All the I love all the productivity of the language around this. You can get into uh-huh. flow. You can get in the zone. You, I, Cal Newport, I don't think, has a word for it. But that deep work time, it, it really is more than just, oh, I did an hour and a half's worth of work. It's, oh, I made a breakthrough. Oh, right. I had a really, really good idea. Oh, I just, I, it was just fluid at that point because what I was doing when I was writing or when I was playing music or something, it just became so natural because I was single-mindedly focused on doing that. And so I think finding time like that several times a week uh, for the task that you're doing has been a key for me. That's a huge, huge part of my schedule. You don't wait till you're inspired. In other words, you don't have your Asian green tea and your aromatherapy candle. You schedule it. Now, I I schedule it because you will become inspired by doing it. But I'm certainly not opposed to making that time as good as possible. Uh So if you... So you would do it in the morning, for example. You want to optimize the ability to get into that zone. But I'm not opposed to incentivizing yourself either. You know, I, I remember Tommy Nelson, who's a pastor at Denton Bible Church, said... 
there's nothing in the world wrong with incentivizing your quiet times. Do, do your quiet time with coffee because coffee is addictive and it's good. And you want to associate your quiet time with being addictive mm-hmm. and good. And I'm not above that at all. Incentivize your deep work times. But don't let the incentives be a distraction. Um, so I'm not opposed to, because what Cal Newport talks about is having rituals. So you have a yes. ritual to start your deep work. You have a ritual to close down the day. And by that, our bodies and our minds learn what they're going to be doing. We and like I, I think there's liturgies. It, yeah, there's James something to that. We like routines like that. But, but before you know it, if you just have your deep work and your ritual and your ending ritual and the time before, <laughs> it's like all of a sudden you've had a half day. You know, nobody has that kind of time. But blocking these out on your calendar, I think, is really important. Um, and I think figuring out what it is that you're actually doing with that time, having a goal, you know, for that time is good. And this balance, I think, is great. So Newport, I think has the luxury of doing deep work a lot of the time. And most of us don't. Mm -hmm. But if we can get one portion of deep work or one project that's got sustained attention and concentration, then we batch a bunch of other things together, that could lead to a hugely productive morning. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not talking about meeting times or things like that that are going to be part of everybody's day, but... Man, if you if you think about this, if by you know eleven a.m. by the or by the time you leave for lunch, let's say by noon, you have done an hour and a half of deep work, you've solved a problem, or you've written a report, or you've written an article, or you've mm-hmm. done something really creative, and you've had two you know sessions of of just mowing through different things on your to do list. That would be a productive day for right. for a lot of people. That's true. So if you think about that, you really can just do kind of all in on the concentration or all out, you know, put those things together. That's how I like to structure my days. And then I like to put meetings and things in the afternoon. And, uh, to the extent you know, the you're able to, to control it, that you're, you're able to it's control. batching. I, I'm like you, I prefer, I'm, I'm not able to control this completely, but I prefer to have meetings in the afternoon, just like I prefer to do errands batched together. Right. As opposed to, well, I'm going to the drugstore. And tomorrow I'll go to Sam's and I I prefer to batch them together. And to the extent that you can, that's your goal. Right. And it really helps. I'll give you one of mine that's a, uh, this isn't going to sound like deep work, but, and then I want to ask you a different, a little different question. But for example, my morning routine right now in this stage of life, and that's the question I'm going to ask you in a minute, but in this stage of life, uh, I get up very early and make uh, some coffee make my little craft pour over coffee that you addicted me to when you lived with us. <laughs> and then I do literally 30 minutes of deep work. And what that involves is I read my daily Bible reading. I write down in my journal. I've never been a journaler, but I find I'm enjoying it right now. I will not look at my text. I will not. And at the end of that 30 minutes, I take a five minute quick look at the day. What are emails do I have that are urgent that need to be happening right now? But I will not do that until I've had that 30 minutes of, quote, deep work. And unless the house is burning down, right, I will not uh, be distracted from that. Now, that's a very small example, but I have to tell you, it's become my favorite part of the day. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I think that, you know, for you, that is going to impact everything else you do that day. It it does. But here's my question for you. Let me give you an example of someone I spoke with today who said, and and I could sympathize with this because my schedule didn't always allow this. And so I was asking, what did you read? I don't know that I like the word quiet time, but you you set aside time to listen to or read your Bible. 
I said, what did you do this morning? Well, I'm having a hard time reading my Bible in the mornings because I'm in a stage of life now where I have kids, want to spend time with them. Important, but not urgent. And I've been in that phase. And so at one time in my life, I didn't read my Bible in the morning. I scheduled time right before or right after my lunch hour, if I had an appointment or during it, if I didn't. And I got it done when I wasn't around the kids. Mm -hmm. And so there were different rhythms. It was non-negotiable that it would get done. But when and how was negotiable. And so I do think people need permission, if you will, to say that what is a routine for you now? You might need to find a different rhythm later. Yeah. So a good example of this, and, you know, everybody's season of life is different depending on if you have kids, if you don't, you know, what what your job requires. Some people have to get up and go to work immediately. Yes. Right. Because if you get there early, they don't like to wake up early, whatever it is. Being a morning person, I always have time in the morning, whether it was when I, you know, had to be somewhere early, um, pastorally for a Bible study or something or whatever it is. But, you know, so like right now, I think the most important thing I do in the mornings besides do my quiet time is spending time with Laura. Mm-hmm. And Laura likes to spend time together right after we wake up. And mm-hmm. so that's what we do. We don't have any kids. That's what we do. Now, my personal preference would probably be, so like before we were married, I would wake up and get to work immediately. Because like I said, that's usually that the earlier, the better. I would make coffee and whatever it was that was most pressing, I would just start on that. And then sometime later by, you know, seven or 645 or something, then I would do my quiet time. Not because I was putting God second, right? but because that's just how I'd organized my routine. And in this stage of life right now, I spend that early time with Laura. Right. And, you know, whether it's spending time with kids before they go to school, whether it's taking kids to school, whatever it is, there are things that are a lot more important than, quote unquote, productivity. Right. Exactly. Um, You know, I was listening to Steve Lawson, who's a great preacher and kind of expository preaching teacher. And he was saying everybody's going to give certain parts of their day to something. It's up to us to figure out what we want to give that part of our day to. So he's an empty nester. And so he says, I give the early mornings to God in my quiet time. I give the mornings, the mid-mornings to sermon prep. I give the afternoon to people and I give the evening to my wife and kids. That's for his stage of life. That's great. But what I took away from that is you're going to give those chunks to something. And for a lot of people that's already filled in, I'm going to give my morning and afternoon and early evening to work. What are you going to give your early morning to? Right. What are you going to give your lunch hour to? Where you, you have, have a choice, one? you're saying choose. Choose. What are you going to give your evening to? Yeah. What are you going to give the, the time after the kids go to bed to? And it could be that that's the best time to connect with your wife. That could be that's actually your only time to do whatever your hobby is. That I don't know what it is. What, what are you going to do with you know, the 15 minutes right after you wake up? Yeah. Look at your phone. Check your email. You're going to read your Bible then. You're going to connect with your wife then or your husband then or what are you going to do you have to choose what you're going to do with those times you know the biggest challenges i think people have with changes in routine are believe it or not bible reading and prayer time well used to do it in the morning love that can't do it now struggling to be consistent exercise for example used right. to do that at lunch uh, but now schedules changed at work and struggling to find a time for it. You just went through a change like that that you told me a little bit about. Maybe this is a template, but I think you used to do uh, dissertation work first part of the week, Monday through Wednesday-ish. 
you used to spend weekend time on weekly speak. There's a lot of effort that goes into it. And you talked about how you captured that effort in little chunks Mm -hmm. on your note cards throughout the week. But you put in concentrated effort at the end of the week. Well, you just had a change in life. Saturdays and Sundays are a little different for you now as a senior pastor. You're preaching on Sunday. And so how have you shifted your calendar around, and was that a challenge to find a new rhythm? See, this has been really tough because pastoring, obviously you're working on Sundays, but in Carlton Landing, the best time to be with people is Friday through Sunday afternoon. So that that is really the peak of my work week in terms of the relational value of being with people and connecting and talking and meeting, having people for dinner. I mean, our goal is to have people over or to be at somebody's house, you know, five or six times a week for meals to get to know people and talk and share our lives with them. That happens most of the time on the weekends. Mm -hmm. A few times, you know, weeknights and stuff, we try to make the most of those. But you Um, don't schedule deep work or anything on the weekends, basically. Right. So, I mean, it's it's like the work week is essentially the relational work week, the pastoral work week. A lot of times the meat of it is from Thursday through Sunday late afternoon. And then sermon prep and other stuff, tasks and all that is earlier in the week. And I typically take Mondays off, kind of off. Um, because Friday and Saturday are mm-hmm. work days. So... Um, the problem that I had was I had been used to working Monday through Fridays and then using Saturdays and Sunday afternoons for, so we speak, into Monday morning. Because you had a hard deadline like many people do. The weekly speak comes out on Monday morning, just yeah. like a report goes to your boss on Tuesdays. Exactly. So you have to orient around that. This is something I really haven't solved at this point because the weekly speak is so dependent on news that's happening. So it's like, I can't write the weekly speak on Tuesday and send it out on Monday because there's stuff that happens over the weekend. And a lot of stuff is responding to what's happening on Monday morning. You know, the news dumps on Friday afternoon and Monday morning are pretty big for what happens. So I try to capture as much as I can through the week and then not think about it and basically spend a a little bit of downtime on Sunday and then after dinner work on the weekly speaking and into Monday morning just mm-hmm. because that's when the deadline is. And that's just, that's just the way it kind of has to be. But I have definitely tried to shift more of that earlier in the week. Um, spending a little bit of time on Monday doing it, setting up well for the rest of the week. Um, I write almost all the stuff I write for our website, which is not as much as I used to since we have other great writers and not as much as I want. Uh, but I do that on Mondays basically. And that's just, you know, your your time is not yours. The flow of things is something to take into account. I mean, most people are dealing with things that take more than one day mm-hmm. when, in terms of productivity. But we tend to schedule our time day by day. Right. Um, whereas the flow of a project through a week or through multiple weeks is sometimes more important. Right. But there is an importance here of being a little flexible, keeping your goal in mind, but not getting too set on a particular timetable because everyone's going to experience changes. You know, one of the key ideas, and I want to dip into, uh, just give you some practical suggestions here, is I love your idea of capturing pieces of a project, whether that is a budget proposal you're writing, whether it's a present sales presentation you're making or whatever. If you just say, okay, I'm going to do the whole thing in one hour. 
but really you'll have thoughts throughout the week. And so let me go from the very bottom low tech to the higher high tech. How do you collect this information? Well, for you, you've already indicated that you have a little card that you carry with you and you'll jot down an idea and now you can just rest assured that when the time comes to work on it, you've got a list of ideas. Some people carry a notebook. Right. Some, Some people, people use, their use phones. apps. I'll give you the low-level apps. I just want to mention these because people ask me a lot about what kind of tools do you use. The low-level apps are things like Apple Notes, if you're an Apple platform. Uh, Google Keep is a note-taking thing where you just jot something down. You can also dictate Mm-hmm. For up to twenty seconds, I think. So you can, you know, you can dictate a couple of quick things into any of these platforms. Then you see products that go to the next level, and they are data collection. You collect it quickly, or you collect it later. And you see apps like Evernote yeah. and OneNote. I did see that Evernote's coming out with a beta right now. I think I just downloaded it, where they have oh. a full tasks. Tasks are integrated, right? Which they used to just have them as a regular note. Yes. Now I think they're their own animal, which would be great. I used to use, um, what was it called, Wonderlist. Yes. I loved that. I loved Wonderlist. It got bought by someone and they decided to close it or something. I don't know. It's owned by Google or somebody now. And they've said they're going to close it for like a year and they haven't. I think it still exists, but I stopped using it because I didn't want to get caught with that. A bunch of information. Especially when I was working at Crossings, I had that and everybody that worked for me had that. And we and you can share tasks and lists. We use Trello for a while. Trellos are great. Some people I'm use using Trello right now. Asana is yeah, Asana. Good if your whole company is in on it, usually um, Basecamp is one that people. These are all like big time project management. These are tools. Most of and the that's time, what I want to say. It can be low tech, like a three by five card. Yeah. It could be Evernote or OneNote, or you could even get to the high end with like Notion and Obsidian and Rome research for serious data repositories. But the point is, don't fall in, here's my advice, don't fall in love with the app and build your life around the app. Just find the tool that works. And you know what, if it's a pencil and a three by five card, that works just fine. So find something that lets you record those little moments. I think that's a key takeaway for me is, don't do your work all in one chunk, do it in little pieces as it comes to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my takeaway would be, and I hope this was helpful to some people, but my, my takeaway is if you view your life as stewardship as opposed to productivity, right. you will have a lot better time sticking with your plan. You know, because I think this is kind of uh, kind of a humorous thing because I've, I've seen this in my own life. Some productivity is an excuse to not be productive. You know, some productivity is... <laughs> You get everything set and you get your system going and you get this part right and you log into your app and you make all these, you flag everything a certain way. And all of a sudden, the 30 minutes that you're supposed to be using this tool to do something, you just spent, you know, doing whatever that is. Yes. Yeah. Productivizing or something. Get a tool and use it because your time is stewardship. God's put you on this planet to do things for the kingdom. And that is as much true in the office as it is at the church, where we have a lot of people that work in ministry here. I mean, if you work in ministry, it's a very easy connection. Your time is stewardship, not just of God's Mm -hmm. call on your life, but the fact that you're getting paid means somebody is giving that money for God to use in the church for his kingdom. And so use it. You know, everything that we have is stewardship. You know, Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Right. Your skills, your gifts, the hours in the day, your family, everything. So take the tools you have, the passions you have, and figure out a way to get them done. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's productivity at its finest. And so we can say, you know, whether when everything you do in word or deed, 
You do it like you're working for Christ. That should be our productivity verse because we're not just trying to make more widgets than everybody else. We're trying to fulfill the passions and desires and plans and callings that God has given us. That's true productivity. Amen. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast. Amen.